So what, what was really coming through for me is to talk more about Catalyst integration. Now, as you know, if you watched the Kundalini webinar event last week and you've just joined us, uh, we really emphasize a lot that here at 40U, we're all about doing the work. I mean, you really wouldn't join a community like this unless you were about all about doing the work. Uh, and, you know, that work in, in so many ways, we could call it spiritual balancing. We could call it um, inner purification. But a big part of facilitating Kundalini's ascension is making the way for her. Yeah. And so we do that in a number of ways. But the the practice of the Catalyst Journal is something that I want to emphasize more here in Fordy University as we go forward. But to go deeper into what, what is Catalyst integration? Why is it so important? Why is it really the whole basis of what we're doing uh, in the 4D University protocol? If you read the Law of One, you'll notice that Ra is very, very interested in talking about this topic. And it's almost as if Ra goes out of their way to bring back, to bring qu any question that Don asks ultimately back around to this topic of Catalyst utilization. and. There's even a passage we're going to read here together in a minute where they ask Ra, like, hey, Ra, what's the best way to raise Kundalini? And Ra's answer is uh, catalyst integration. And so why why is that, right? Why isn't it, um, why didn't Ra give us a good breathwork practice or something? <laughs> why does Ra say that catalyst integration is the way to raise Kundalini? Well, as, we've, as we know, Kundalini is our fourth density energy coming into activation, literally in the nervous system. So it's our green ray energy um, that starts to move through the nervous system and purify it from all of the third density karma that's still hanging out in all the nooks and crannies of the chakras and the nervous system, right? So it's the ascension process into fourth density consciousness. Well, fourth density consciousness is what? We give a, a few definitions of it here, but basically it's the awareness of perfect oneness, right? The fourth density state is when we are actually aware as a normal default mode that all is one and we experience that oneness tangibly through the heart, yeah? It's no longer a nice subject to us or something we dream about one day. In the fourth density state, oneness is as normal as separation used to be right in third density consciousness so in that way fourth density consciousness is not possible without collapsing duality and so how do we describe duality here my personal favorite way of looking at duality and there's many ways is duality is that belief we hold a subconscious belief right that we never really see or notice but it's the belief that we hold that our inner world and our outer world are two separate things. So there's an inner world of thoughts and feelings and sensations and perceptions. And I, I'm interpreting the world around me in my inner world through my mind. And then there's another world called the outside world, which is all the forms we see, right? All the events that happen. And so in ego consciousness, uh, third density consciousness, we feel as though we're living behind a one-way mirror, so to speak, in that we feel like we can see the world, right? I'm in here, I'm inside this body, and I'm looking at a world that's out there, and I'm interacting with that world. 
but that world can't see in here, right? We, we don't have a belief that the world is also seeing us and interacting with us. And so that's the one-way mirror effect. Uh, you guys know what that is, right? Where like, if you're watching an interrogation, you know, the CIA is watching some interrogation, they'll stand behind one of those one-way mirrors so that the subject and the interviewer just see a mirror. But actually on the other side, it's transparent and you can see through it, right? That's ego, right? Ego is kind of locked in this um, tiny phone booth with a one-way mirror in front of it where it thinks it can see everything around it, but nobody can see it. The world's not aware of my inner world, right? That's duality. And so we have to become aware of the relationship between the inner and outer worlds first. If we're going to collapse duality, we're going to have to become aware of the interdependent relationship of inner world, outer world. And so relationship is one of these frameworks we just emphasize here so much because it makes oneness so much more tangible to us. And it makes oneness more accessible to the mind. So first we say, start contemplating the relationship between your inner world and your outer world. Well, what is that? Catalyst integration, right? When you start looking at the world, the experience you have of, of a world, less and less like it's some separate thing that you're moving through and navigating and more like it's a university for consciousness that is here to teach you something new every single moment right start start to notice your relationship to life that when life brings you certain challenges and you rise to the occasion you become more loving more patient more forgiving whatever the quality that life is trying to cultivate out of you when you start saying yes to life in that way, you enter into a relationship with the outer world, right? So inner and outer now have this relationship as we process our catalysts every day. And we think about what is this experience trying to teach me? Why did I attract that experience? There must be a lesson in there somewhere. And we, we build that spiritual muscle, right? So now let's look at the relationship between inner and outer. Now, a relationship is not a third thing between two things, yeah? There's not like two separate things and then also the relationship. There's actually nothing to those things apart from the relationship. Because if you had no ability to ever be in relationship to something, you would have no clue who you were, right? If you had no ability to ever relate to something, if you were born into a void and just floating in a, an infinite void forever, and you never interacted with something, you would not know yourself at all. You would never be able to see your expression. You would never know your unique personality. You know, without something to express to, expression cannot happen. And so you are your expression, right? Your state of being, that's what you are. And so you can only know that by giving it, by sharing it in relationship to something. So hopefully we can all see that and agree that there really isn't any reality to something apart from the relationships that it's in. Relationship is all that there really is because nothing is actually separate. So now we see that as I become aware of my relationship to life, I begin to collapse this duality between inner and outer because the more I look inside myself and say, why did I react that way to that experience? 
There's an experience and then there's an inner reaction to it. Are they two? Are they really separate? Like where is that point where the inner inner world stops and the outer world starts? Or where's the point where the outer world stops and there's some kind of, you know, separation wall between the inner world and then my inner world starts? That's how the ego thinks of it, but is it true? Is there such a distinction point there? If we're really being honest, we would have to say they kind of just melt into each other. I can't really identify where one stops and the other begins because the way I think and feel about the world around me is the world, right? And that's uh, what A Course in Miracles emphasizes so much, uh, saying things like, God did not create the world that you see because the world you see is all these judgments and perceptions you're labeling and placing over top of the world around you. So you're not actually seeing the world as it is, you're seeing the world as you are. So the world becomes like a projection screen and my thoughts, feelings, perceptions about it are like the projector. I'm projecting an image over the screen of the world all the time. And so to cancel that projection is to realize that they aren't two separate things and that the outer world is also my inner world and vice versa. There's really just world, right? One world, one reality, or we could say mind. There's just one mind. So as we practice making use of our catalyst, we're building that awareness muscle, right? We're building that most crucial habit of seeing life as a catalyst for learning and for growth. We are beginning to realize that every single moment in your life, yes, even the boring ones, even the seemingly insignificant moments, every moment is a lesson you can learn. There's something in that moment that can teach you and expand your consciousness. The only question is, are you looking for that lesson? Do you have the spiritual intelligence to tune into your life and look at the deeper layer behind why certain things are happening and what distortions within you are being brought out of you by your life experiences. I often like to say the universe is a university for consciousness, right? And your life is the curriculum. So are you taking the curriculum? Are you the kid in the front of the class writing notes, paying attention to everything the teacher says? Or are you the kid in the back, you know, kicking your feet up, shooting spitballs at other people? <laughs> the question is really more of which student do you want to be? Which student would you rather be? Would you rather be the straight A front row student who takes notes or the kid in the back who has to retake the grade over and over again because they don't take it seriously? Well, when you want to pass the class, the, the grade that you're in, which is of course third density, you start sitting in the front of that class pretty quick and taking notes, don't you? And so that's what the Catalyst Journal is. We've often said that between thoughts, feelings, and actions, each one of those three things is the way we communicate with the universe, commune with the universe. The way we think about the universe is our part of our relationship to it. The way we feel about the universe is part of our relationship to it. But the actions we carry out in time and space carry the most karmic energy of all. Thoughts the least, 
feelings the second most, actions the most. Meaning, it's very good to think in alignment with reality. It has to start there for sure. But the effects of your thoughts are not as easily noticed as your feelings, right? When you really feel the reality you want to experience, it comes into fruition much quicker than just thinking about it. But then likewise, if you start acting on the reality you want to create, you bring it in even faster than with just feelings alone. So actions carry the most karmic energy of, of all three. And that's why karma yoga is the yoga of action. Using actions as a way to spiritually polarize and ascend our consciousness. So when you're taking time every day, you guys, to journal about your life experiences and look into them and ask, what's the lesson in this experience for me? You're showing the universe that you're that front row student taking notes and you quickly earn the grace of the instructor, right? Because what teacher doesn't love a student who comes to class every day, eager to learn and sits in the front and is ready to take notes. Teachers love students like that because then they really have a, a, a student they can teach to and, and help grow and learn. That's what every teacher wants. So likewise, when we start taking our life experiences very seriously, it just sort of has this way of putting us under a tractor beam of divine grace. So it's as if when we start taking our life seriously in this way to learn our, our lessons, it's as if the whole universe begins to participate in our evolution. Meaning we can actually start asking the universe for certain experiences for our learning. We can say things like, source, I ask you to show me more of my pride and arrogance. I'm aware that there's a part of me that is still very prideful and puffed up and selfish. And I want to purify and heal this part of myself. So please bring me experiences today that will expose my pride so that I can forgive it and heal it. We can start talking to life like this and you'll start noticing that life responds and you actually do develop a kind of communication relationship with your life. And that's when the ascension process really speeds up, you guys. So we talked about some reasons of why you should want to journal about your catalysts, but let's look at more of the benefits. The first benefit of utilizing catalyst is raising of Kundalini. So I mentioned this in the webinar last week. If you're a longtime 40U student, you know this very well already. A Kundalini awakening is not just activating Kundalini energy. That's the beginning of a Kundalini awakening. The real ascension process is the gradual raising of Kundalini from each energy center to the next until eventually we max out that thermometer of the spinal highway and we raise Kundalini all the way to the crown and we integrate her presence there and allow her to abide there permanently. So she doesn't need to keep retreating to the root chakra over and over because we run out of charge, right? She doesn't have to keep going back down to the root chakra to build up a new charge to ascend all over again. We've created enough polarization in our own energy field that she can now sleep easy in the crown, if we want to put it that way. That raising process is only done through catalyst utilization. When we talk about catalyst utilization, what we're really talking about is, is chakra balancing, chakra tuning, chakra activation. Each energy center carries different 
aspects of self, yeah? Different archetypes of what you are. So in um, the, the solar plexus, the yellow ray, that's our social self, how we relate to others, how we show up in the world, how we interact with others, our level of self-empowerment. In the heart chakra, that's the energy center of love, oneness, unity, relationship, compassion, forgiveness. Throat chakra is wisdom, authenticity, our ability to express and speak the truth, our ability to actually be who we truly are in every moment and not shape shift, right? Like the ego likes to do, that's throat chakra. So all these chakras carry different spiritual qualities that make up I am, my expression. And so to open the pathway for Kundalini and raise her through each chakra is to work on those aspects in each energy center. And as we're gonna see what Ra says in the Law of One is that every experience you have is drawing upon one of those lower six centers, right? The, the present moment is demanding some kind of relationship, some kind of response from one or more of your lower six chakras, the first six, root chakra to third eye. So are you paying attention to what those requests are and are you responding? That's catalyst utilization, right? So it raises Kundalini up the chakra network as we more and more are passing those life tests, healing our karma. Uh, we're healing distortions in the chakras, right? As we learn these lessons. So the raising of Kundalini cannot be done just by breathwork and yoga. It has to be done through the inner spiritual balancing practice of using our catalysts every day. Then we have, of course, spiritual balancing, meaning there's a certain relationship energetically between your chakras. And what's really cool is that Ra says, everybody has a unique balance of their energy centers. Some people may be naturally brighter in the green ray, while other people are naturally brighter in the blue ray. Um, an interesting phenomenon that happens on YouTube is that every so often I'll get people who's, who can see auras commenting on, on my YouTube videos. And um, over you know the last five or so years, I've probably gotten like a dozen or so comments from people who say, hey, I can see your aura. And interestingly enough, every single person always says that it's blue. And that kind of makes sense, right? Because I, I speak for a living, I teach. Um, speaking truth is Blu-ray, so I probably have a really active Blu-ray. But that's also just my unique configuration, right? Each one of you listening has a certain unique chakra balance that you need to find for yourself. And that's why when they ask Ra, what is the perfect level of balance between the chakras? Ra basically says, well, it's unique to everybody. So you got to find your own balance, right? As we learn our life lessons, we're naturally finding that balance. It just comes out of us, right? We don't need to think about it and wonder, oh, do I need more yellow ray activation? Like just life itself's already activating you. But again, are you learning? Are you paying attention and taking the curriculum? Of course, learning our, our life lessons is gonna cause rapid polarization, right? Because we're eliminating our negatively polarized energy as we pay attention to our negative reactions and feelings about life, we balance and purify them through love, acceptance, forgiveness, and then we polarize more to the positive. So then we have inner purification, of course, which we covered, and then we have the chakra tuning, meaning as each moment is asking you to respond in a certain way, you know, one moment may be asking you to exercise great patience for somebody 
And so it's demanding some heart chakra activation from you. Uh, another experience later in the day may ask you to be very social for a long period of time, which you typically like to shy away from and you don't feel so good in social groups. Well, that's a yellow ray activation quality. Life is trying to tune your yellow ray through that experience. So we tune our chakras and we make them more efficient and they become better and better at processing catalyst. Meaning now when I need to respond with self-empowerment, boom, the yellow ray is there. It's already prepped, it's beefed up, it's been trained up, it's, uh, it's a good student of life. So it's ready to respond to life. Then we have the transcendence of duality, which we touched on a second ago, in that as we develop this loving relationship with our life, you will notice it will collapse your experience of duality. You will less and less feel that there is an outer world. Because when you're communicating with the outer world constantly and you're listening to it and you're, you're realizing the lessons it's teaching you, it becomes more and more intimate to you. And then you less and less can say, am I really separate from this world I'm experiencing? You know, that's what catalyst integration really does to the mind is it collapses our belief in duality because we are forced to acknowledge and to operate in relationship constantly between inner and outer and relationship is union yeah then of course this is the only way to achieve graduation uh you can watch all the spiritual videos you want read all the books you want but if you do not actually begin loving what is right you ain't going to fourth density yet life is waiting for you to show that you really are a green ray being so as Ra says in the law of one, every density of the seven, the way to graduate into the following density is to learn the lessons of the next density in this one. So meaning here in third density, which is separation consciousness, we're trying to graduate to the fourth density, which is unity consciousness. So we right now in a mostly third density body still need to begin learning unity now and, and um, participating in unity now, right? So life is waiting for you to, to, to prove to it that you really do have forgiveness in your heart and love and compassion and all these important fourth density qualities. Only your life can teach you those qualities, right? And train them up within you. And then of course, we're gonna increase our spiritual intelligence significantly. Our SQ is gonna go up with every single lesson that we're learning in life. Because again, we're flexing and working that awareness muscle. Uh, and then lastly, crystallization, which really means that unique expression you are and all of the spiritual potential and even like physical potential, if we want to put it that way, all of your potential unlocks the more you are crystallized. Because Ra says, a being who has purified their energy centers and has raised the Kundalini to the crown and has learned all those third density lessons that, that are available to be learned here, right? There's, there's no more lessons third density can teach you that you haven't already passed. That's a crystallized being in Ra's language. So we become like living crystals as we purify and tune the chakras on this ascension journey. And that's the only real way to realize all of the potential your soul is carrying. So here is the quote I was mentioning a minute ago. Let's unpack what Ra's saying here for a second. Ra says, the nature of catalyst is overwhelmingly of an unconsciousness 
coming from that which is not of the mind and which has no connection with the intellect. So Ra's talking about karma there. There's a, a subtler place within us, the causal body, the karmic body, that is carrying karmas from past lives and from this life. And that karmic body that we're carrying is what's attracting our experiences to us. So it's not even just what you're thinking, it's something even deeper than that. It's, it's those lessons you haven't learned yet. Life, the instructor of life is gonna keep serving you those lessons until you pass them. And then Ross says, which proceeds or is concomitant with catalytic action? All uses of catalyst by the mind are those consciously applied to catalyst. So that's the important point. All uses of catalyst are conscious. What does that mean? It means if you ain't consciously looking for the lesson, you ain't learning the lesson. You don't learn life lessons on accident. You learn them on purpose, right? If you're not trying to learn them, then you're just repeating old patterns. You're just stuck in the same loop. So whether it's suffering or challenges, something in your life will eventually force you to become aware of your blind spots. And that's when Catalyst becomes available to be utilized for polarization. Without conscious intent, the use of Catalyst is never processed through mentation, ideation, or imagination. And then in session 66, Ross says, Catalyst is offered to the entity. That's every moment, even this moment, right? As we're in it together right now is a catalyst. If it is not used by the mind complex, it will then filter through to the body complex and manifest as some form of physical distortion. The more efficient the use of catalyst, the less physical distortion to be found. So here is where Ra's connecting are distortions with physical illness and disease. And we talk a lot about German new medicine here and the, the connection between mind and body. We're very aware of the fact, right? That if you're carrying burdens that you have not healed, if you're carrying resentment from the past, it's going to manifest as a sickness at some point. And why is that? Well, Ra says, every moment is putting catalytic energy into your chakras from the root center up, from the root chakra up. And if you're not processing every experience, then it's getting stuck somewhere. And all that energy, which can't be destroyed, just accumulates over time. So if you're not healing, you're becoming sicker over time, right? People who carry resentments become more and more bitter, more and more cold and closed off. And so we're trying to do the opposite of that. In session 49, Ross says, the two methods of approaching this with sensible method are first, the seeding within oneself of those experiences which are attracted to the entity through the South Pole. So again, the root chakra, where Shakti begins, is always drawing in the, the earthly prana, earthly energy, catalytic energy, and it's moving up the spine to the extent your spinal highway has been opened for it, right? If we're closed off in the lower chakras, that energy can't go any higher. As the entity grows in self-acceptance and awareness of catalyst, the location of the comfortable seating of these experiences will rise to the new true color entity or the new true color chakra. The experience, whatever it may be, will be seated in red ray and considered as to its survival content and so forth. So as we said, every energy center represents a different faction of ourself. And so Ra says, all experience is always first processed through the root 
which is survival and sexuality. So this is like our fear of death, our fear of the body being harmed and our need to uh, be a sexual being and to reproduce and carry on our legacy. Those are root chakra energies. So if we have distortions there, every experience we have is gonna provoke some kind of fear within us, some kind of anxiety. And so people who live with a heavy burden of, of stress and anxiety, people who have you know panic attacks regularly, that's clearly because the root chakra is extremely blocked, right? So the energy can't go past the red ray and it's just getting stuck in that survival mode. And so we need to open that chakra and balance it to allow the energy to flow higher. So for those of you who are brand new, I wanted to give you the quick overview of the Catalyst Journal. And this is good review for those of us who've been in 4DU who haven't been doing the Catalyst Journal yet. It's a four-step process. And so the first step is just to write out what your catalyst was. And so what I like to recommend is, you know, set aside 10 minutes every evening. And the best time to do this is probably after your evening meditation. Just have your journal ready in your meditation room or whatever. And after you're done meditating, pull it out and write down every major experience that you are aware of today that you felt was a catalyst to you. Reflect on it, right? Just write it down. What was it? Number two, the second step is then to write down what of those three negative emotions really came up in that catalyst. Because as we teach and emphasize here, your emotions are pointing you to the lesson, right? Your emotions are pointing you to where the distortion is. So it's only going to be one of three emotions you're ever feeling when you're suffering, right? It's going to be some kind of sadness, some kind of anger, or some kind of fear. So sometimes life experiences carry multiple emotions and that's okay. You can say, hey, I felt some anger during this catalyst and then I felt a lot of fear afterwards. That's cool, write them both down. Just put down what was the emotional body's response? What was the emotional guidance system's response to that experience? Step three is based on the emotions that we felt, you're gonna write out which of those three beliefs is causing this blockage that you're experiencing. So most of us are familiar with the three beliefs of ego, the belief in lack, uh, the belief in attachments or control, personal doership. Lack is uh, the belief that causes sadness. Attachments is the belief that causes anger. And then control, trying to be the doer, the controller, is what causes fear. So based on the emotions you wrote out, then step three, write out the beliefs that are that the ego is using right in this moment. Once you've done that, you've kind of laid out, dissected the catalyst. Then we're gonna we're gonna bring in the disciplines of the personality. The two questions that Ra says we must ask in order to integrate every catalyst. And Ra's very specific about this in the Law of One. Um, I believe Dawn actually asks Ra in the session. Can you tell us the best possible way to make use of our catalysts? How do we do that? And Ra basically says, it's asking these two simple questions. What is this experience asking me to know about myself? There's some self-knowledge here. And then secondly, what is this experience asking me to accept in myself? So to summarize, step one is write out the catalyst. Step two, write out your emotions about that catalyst. Step three, write out those beliefs that are operating. And then four, ask those two questions 
about this catalyst. What is this experience asking me to know about myself? And then what is it asking me to accept about myself? So maybe a better term for self-acceptance would be self-forgiveness, self-love, if you prefer that. But there's something in me that I've been resisting, right? Rejecting a part of myself. And the only reason I got defensive is because that part of me that I've been rejecting is coming up to be seen and to be healed. So let me give you two examples, guys, to make this even easier. So let's say today my partner and I got into an argument over finances. Very common catalyst, right? He or she spent a bunch of money on something without asking me. And so I felt betrayed by my partner. And this feeling provoked a lot of anger in me initially. I got angry at my partner. And then the rest of the day, I noticed that there was just this really strong background of stress and anxiety about our money situation. Okay, so you would write both of those down just like this. Just very simply one sentence, two sentences. Three, this is where we bring in the three beliefs, right? So we know that anger is caused by attachment, attachment to outcomes. So you, you would try to apply that belief to this situation. So why did you get angry about your finances over your partner? Well, I feel that the anger is caused by my attachment to money. And I was projecting that attachment onto money onto my partner, right? How dare you take away my money without asking me? That's my money. You should have asked me first. There's some attachment to money going on. That's why I'm upset. You might also say, you know, I also I'm having this expectation my partner should never spend money without asking me. And that's also why I'm angry. But now we move to the fear element. The anxiety around money is my belief that I'm in control of money, right? I believe I'm in control of my financial security and now I'm losing control of it. And that's why I'm afraid. So you would you would dissect it that way, right? What is the, the deeper underlying belief that's causing your suffering? That's step three. Step four, what are you being asked to know or accept in yourself? You could say, this catalyst is asking me to be aware of my attachment to money. That's the self-knowledge element. That's the masculine element, right? What am I not seeing in myself that this experience is showing me? Ooh, I didn't realize how much of an attachment to money I have. Wow, thank you, life, for showing me that. I'm aware of that now. I'm gonna keep my eye on that. That's masculine, self-knowledge. And then secondly, let's go to the feminine, self-acceptance. What do I need to accept? Well, maybe I need to accept that God's in control of my finances, right? And not my ego. That God is in control and God is the supplier of all my needs. So I'm never in lack. I'm never out of control because God's always in control. So that would be accepting that part of myself that thinks it's in control. It's okay. It's okay to believe you're in control. It's not wrong to think that. That's what the ego thinks. I forgive that part of me and I return to the remembrance that God is in control. Now you're just trying to accept that part of you, to not feel guilty about it, to not have judgments about it, to not see it as unspiritual, but just to be aware of it and say, ah, yeah, I accept that part of me. A part of me does believe I'm in control and I love that part of me. It's okay. It's just trying to survive. It's trying to do its best. Uh, nothing to be judged here at all. One last example. Today I felt lonely and depressed because of my recent breakup. Another common catalyst, yeah? I thought about my ex a lot today and I started hoping that I didn't make a big mistake. Obviously lots of sadness is the main emotion I'm feeling. 
Um, but I also noticed that I'm feeling some fear about my future. Like maybe I just missed out on the right person and now I'm gonna be single forever. You know, these are common fears the ego will throw up after a breakup. So sadness and fear are the main emotional uh, emotions being felt. So number three, what are the beliefs behind these emotions? The sadness is being caused by my belief that I'm lacking love, right? Sadness is always caused by some belief in lack. And really it's always that you believe you're lacking some kind of love, isn't it? And then the fear is being caused by my belief that I'm in control of something. So obviously if I'm fearing about my future, I must be afraid that I'm losing control over my future, right? Uh, my future isn't going the way I want it to. I'm losing control, that's the fear. So I just write that down in step three. Now, self-knowledge, self-acceptance, masculine, feminine. First, this catalyst is asking me to love myself as I am, single or not, right? Give myself and give others that love which I desire. If, you, if you've studied the first belief, that's an easy one, right? Only what I have not given can ever be lacking. So I'm never lacking love, I'm just not giving love. And so I'm not feeling any. So love myself, accept myself, and give that love that I'm trying to get from a romantic partnership. And then self-knowledge, it's also asking me to be aware of my need to control my life. So all control is really just the same control, right? I'm trying to control my life to move in my favor and to my benefit. That's all control ultimately. So be aware of that part of me that wants to control my life and just trust and accept that source is already in control of my life. God's already in control. So you see, it's really always the same lessons, isn't it? But they're dressed up in different ways in our life experiences and we have to unpack them and come back to these three beliefs over and over again until they're fully transcended. That's the lower three chakras, right? Root chakra, the belief in lack, sacral chakra, desires, attachments, solar plexus chakra, the need to be in control. As you, as you transcend those three beliefs, you are balancing and activating those lower three chakras in the fastest, most efficient way possible. Because all distortions in those lower three chakras are from those three beliefs, right? One of those three. And then lastly, as we close, this is the, the passage where they ask Ra how to raise Kundalini. And I just think it's really worth reading because it's so clear the way Ra describes this. So Don asks Ra, how do we correctly raise Kundalini and of what value is that? I am Ra. The metaphor of the coiled serpent being called upwards is vastly appropriate for consideration by your people. This is what you're attempting when you seek. There are, as we have stated, great misapprehensions concerning this metaphor and the nature of pursuing its goal. We have two types of energy. We are attempting, as entities in any true color of this octave, to move the meeting place of inner and outer natures further and further upward along the energy centers. So can you see how that's also the collapsing of duality? Think about that meter or that thermometer I talked about of where is your Kundalini energy residing? Which chakra is it working through right now? Let's say mine is up to the solar plexus. Well, that's also the measurement of how much I've transcended duality how much my outer and inner worlds have become one. Yeah, so you see these amazing correlations to all these different spiritual perspectives. They're really all pointing to the same phenomenon that's going on, which we call ascension. Each experience will be sequentially understood by the growing and seeking 
mind-body-spirit complex. That's you, you're a mind-body-spirit complex. First again, in terms of survival, that's the root. Then in terms of personal identity, that's the sacral. Then in terms of social relations, that's the solar plexus. Then in terms of universal love in the heart, then in terms of free communication in the throat, then in terms of how the experience is linked to universal energies, that's the third eye. And then finally, the sacramental nature of every experience, which is crown chakra. Meanwhile, the creator lies within. In the North Pole, the crown is already upon the head and the entity is potentially a god. So that's why we call this God realization. Everyone is in potential a God, but it has to be realized through the ascension process. This energy is brought into being by the humble and trusting acceptance of this energy through meditation and contemplation of the self and of the creator. Where these energies meet is where the serpent will have achieved its height. When this uncoiled energy approaches universal love and radiant being, the entity is in a state where the harvestability of the entity comes nigh. So pretty clear description there. Yeah, where those energies meet shows our level of polarization, our level of progress on the ascension path. And so in some of the 40 AP lessons, we'll talk more about um, how we know which chakra Kundalini is currently in. Uh, that's a conversation for another day, but the catalyst journal, the catalyst integration, practicing this every day takes care of all of this, right? We don't have to think or wonder about, um, am I doing my, my spiritual balancing correctly? You don't need to ask any of those questions. The only question is, are you paying attention to guru life, right? The, the sad guru of life, who's already bringing you all those lessons for your highest uh, ascension and expansion. Life already knows what experiences you need to balance all those lower chakras in exactly the perfect way. So isn't that great news that we're already in the hands of the most perfect teacher and instructor who already knows how to take us to the goal and all we're asked to do is to listen and respond.